Welcome to Musicians Versus the World. I'm very pleased today to introduce my guest, Sarah Verhayen. She's a licensed CPA and owner of Marish Books. And she's here to talk with us today about a very important topic, but one that we probably don't discuss as much as we should. And that is thinking like a business. So thank you, Sarah. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I was excited to hear that you have a musical background as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So uh, considering music kind of my second language growing up, I played piano starting very young and uh, joined band as soon as I can and start on flute. And I played flute all throughout uh, middle school and I did marching band freshman year with flute. And I was actually going to quit band because I didn't like marching band. (laughs) I loved like the concert part of it, but yeah. um, Yeah. uh, And so the end of freshman year, my band director approached me and said, you know, we're, we're really low on bassoon players. Is that something you'd be interested in? And my first and only question was, can I play marimba in marching band? (laughs) Because partially I didn't like marching, but also it's a gigantic piano. And I always thought they were so cool and I love to learn it, but never had like, you know, an excuse or, um, you know, being allowed to learn it. And so he's like, yeah, I guess like, that's a weird question. (laughs) So I remember taking the bassoon home, you know, learning it over the summer break in between, you know, freshman, sophomore year. And, uh, ended up loving both bassoon and, you know, March, uh, pit percussion, marimba. And I ended up mm-hmm. actually doing that all through college too, even though I was majoring in accounting. So, oh, how fun. Yeah, definitely have a deep love for music. That's great. So, tell us more about your CPA background and what it is that you do. Yeah. So, I've been a CPA for about nine years. Most of my experience has been in tax, a little bit of accounting experience. Um, and right now I'm also doing bookkeeping and my passion is really small business owners and especially those just getting started, um, love like, you know, getting to know them and their goals for their business and helping them strategize about how to reach those goals. And that's perfect because musicians are kind of the definition of small business owners, aren't they? Yes. So, I mean, as I was saying, musicians don't usually think of themselves as business people. I mean, obviously music teachers, but performers too, especially with the way market, the way it is. And with social media, so many musicians are able to bypass getting record labels and they become their own brand and they become their own business. But what are some of the reasons that musicians really need to think about themselves as a business from an accounting standpoint and from a business development standpoint? Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. Um, One that I particularly, you know, like to think of is the security and the cash flow of just having planning to have enough cash, you know, for taxes and all the, the random operating expenses and just things that come up, um, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz is a book that I definitely recommend any business owner to read. And he talks about, you know, setting aside different amounts into different actual different bank accounts so that you have all of those things ready. Um, so that's one reason. Um, and not being blindsided by tax time, both in the in terms of like the amount of work that it takes to assemble all of your receipts and all of your documents and everything. And also, of course, by the tax you owe. So you're you're ready and prepared and not shocked by that number when it comes. And then growth and planning, you know, by thinking about it as a business, you can really kind of project and plan what you'd like it to look like. And instead of just being reactive in your business, you can have goals and decide on the direction you want to go. Absolutely. And I think that um, when you think of yourself as a business, 
other people take you more seriously as well. You know, they know that it's not just a hobby for you, but it's something that you really want to do to make a living. I think that it requires a deep examination of your life, your life goals and where you want to go. I mean, if it's and that's actually something that I wanted to bring up to you, too, because a lot of the online business owners I work with are, you know, my goals are to quit my nine to five job so I can spend more time with my family and, you know, set my own schedule and all that kind of stuff. If you're a musician, you might already have a lot of flexibility and you're probably doing something that you're very passionate about anyway. So I don't know if the pull is as strong as it is for other sorts of businesses to grow it into something really big. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. Well, it depends. It really depends on the person because you are doing something you love, but we are in a business where people think that because you're doing something that you love, that you're just going to want to do it for free and mm-hmm. that you have all the time in the world. And they don't really seem to realize like just how much time goes into music and performing. And mm-hmm. for every gig, you have rehearsal time and you have you know your own practicing time. And for every student that walks in the door, they're there for what, like 30 minutes, an hour, but there may be hours of prep time, choosing repertoire mm-hmm. and, and even your own training. And, um, and we're in a business where you get taken advantage of a lot. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a composer and you put your music up on the internet for one reason or another, it can be pirated so easily. And so instead of getting like licensing or residuals, someone's just stealing your stuff and they're putting it in their videos or, or they're putting it on their podcasts and they're just you know doing things like that because it's a creative thing, you know? And, and that's been going on since the beginning of time. Like Mozart would have his copies like in his house, making copies of his scores there so he could watch them so that they didn't pirate it and go off and sell it because it happened all the time. Musicians get ripped off all the time, all the time. We get ripped off all the time. Um, And it's so important that we see ourselves as business people, because if we don't, then that's not going to change. I mean, even when we do, like we're we're still struggling to get what we deserve. I mean, you even saw what Taylor Swift went through a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago with her record label. And now she has to like re-record all of her early stuff so she can have the rights to the recordings. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. But she is a fantastic business person, which is why she's stuck around for so many years. Um, same thing with with Dolly Parton. She took herself very seriously at the very beginning and really took control of her business and her music. And, you know, she's done OK yeah. for herself. <laughs> so what kind of advice do you have for somebody that wants to take music from a hobby or, or maybe they just got out of school and they think, OK, I want to make music my life? What sort of beginning stage business planning do you suggest that they do? So one of the first things I always suggest to a new business owner is to get a separate bank account for your business, depending on the type of music industry they're going into and what they're planning on doing. um, There's always a good time to the beginning, a good time to have a conversation with like a lawyer or a CPA about what kind of legal entity they want to set up for their business structure. So those are definitely the first couple of things I would consider. Could you maybe explain what some of those different structures are? Yeah, absolutely. So um, sole proprietor is probably the most common. And that's when you just kind of start business on your own uh, without setting up a uh, legal entity. Um, Beyond that, there's Mm -hmm. an LLC. And if you're a single member LLC, it's considered a disregarded entity for tax purposes. So it will just be... um, reported on your 1040 on the Schedule C. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the sole proprietor. And then if you're going to go into business with somebody else, mm-hmm. um, you could do a partnership 
you know, with partners, and then that's a separate tax return. So as far as the LLC, a lot of the times it's recommended is to limit the liability. And I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to get too deep into this. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> and then beyond that, I would say the next level would be the S corporation. Um, mm-hmm. And once you get, you know, further into your business and are having a more profitable business, profitable business, there are, you know, tax um, benefits to being an S corporation. Um, if you don't ever want to bother, bother with this uh, S corp election, you can just stay as the LLC and then you can still have employees and all that kind of stuff, do everything you need yeah. to do within the, the LLC. Yeah. Yeah. And that usually just protects you in liability. Like if you get sued mm-hmm. or something, you know, along those lines. Yeah. That they yeah. would go after the business assets and not yours. Right. Right. So they can't come and attack me. They're just attacking the business. Mm-hmm. Like if I were a music teacher and someone were to slip and fall or something and right. hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So let's talk about KPIs. Explain to me what a KPI is. Yes. So KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator. And I just published a blog post that I believe you read. Yes. It's very good. Yeah. And so basically, it's just taking data and analyzing it. And it can be related to almost anything in your business. I mean, um, KPIs are really well known in social media metrics, for for example. Like, I mean, even the engagement um, ratios and followers and all of those things are KPIs for your social media accounts. Um, as far as business, you know, there are a lot of common KPIs like your current current asset ratio and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that they could apply to music businesses too. For example, KPIs could be useful for, um, you know, studio management for teachers. Mm-hmm. And of course, the social media, I think that, like you said, um, there's more musician opportunities in social media these days. Yes, so very much so. That's always relevant. Um, you know, things like how many, even how many gigs you're booking versus how many you're um, pitching. So let's apply a KPI to like social media, for example. How do we use those analytics you were talking about and outreach and all of those things? How do we use those to increase our our planning? Mm-hmm. Because, because we're pretty much promoting ourselves all the time on social media. How can a KPI help that? So I'm definitely not a social media marketing expert. <laughs> oh, oh, that's okay. Just explain how yeah. it works. I'm sure musicians can figure it out once they know how it works. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you could easily just look back through your past posts and Mm -hmm. I think you could notice pretty quickly which ones are being engaged on the most and which ones your audience seem to like the most. And that will give you a general direction and where to go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's like a very easy way to measure a key performance indicator, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very simplified example. So I'm understanding what KPIs are. Are. Mm-hmm. And let's say I'm a music teacher wanting to measure why some students are coming in and quitting after like two months, or I'm wanting to find the types of students that will stick with it for the mm-hmm. entire year. So how do I set that up? Like, how do I, how exactly do I measure it? Is it a spreadsheet that I'm supposed to do? Or is there, are there metrics I'm supposed to come up with somehow? Like, am I supposed to take notes? Like, how do I do this? Well, I'm definitely a spreadsheet junkie. So that's what I'm <laughs> <coming> in. <laughs> but yeah, I would just go about it by, you know, keeping track of the students and 
um, how long we're lasting. And like you said, you said the types of students that are sticking with it. And so you could put other identifying factors in there. I don't know if it would be like, you know, even grade level or instrument type or, you know, tracking by different um, Mm -hmm. characteristics like that. Like there's literally endless possibilities um, for KPIs and how you can analyze them. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. So maybe um, for music teachers, I'm thinking, well, we're always trying to get our students to practice more, right? So we're always running these kind of like contests with our students, like, hey, who can do 30 days in a row of practicing? And who can do this? And we have little winners and little motivating sort of things. And I can see KPIs being the type of tool where we can see, okay, I spent 10 hours setting up this competition between my students and it improved practicing by this much. Mm. Or it didn't. And the students that practiced anyway won and it didn't motivate the other students at all. Right. So I can see that being really useful in studio management. And then let's say we go back to marketing, right? And so I have a studio and I use all of those SEO analytics with my website. And then I have social media and I have different ways of having students contact me, like being on different directories and different uh, music associations and things like that. And so let's say for a year, I collect all of this data on where the students are coming from. Mm-hmm. and how they're finding me. So I have all of this data now. And I have a five-year goal of I want to get to 100 students. How do I use that data that I've been collecting, and how do I put that into practice to reach that five-year goal? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. So looking at that data could tell you a lot about what's working and what's not working And Mm -hmm. so you could focus on what's working and then the more things you try, you'd have more data and then go basically just tell you what direction to go in. Uh So I think that would be definitely the starting point for that. Like maybe the stuff that's working, that's where you want to put more of your investment into advertising. Right. And things like that. Mm -hmm. And I can see that being really useful for a performer as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have all these different outreaches and you're realizing that most of your revenue is coming from, you know, such and such, maybe your concerts rather than YouTube streaming or whatnot, then you can spend more of your time on your live performances and making your performances really good Mm -hmm. rather than spending all of your time or like 100 hours a week every week (laughs) making YouTube videos. Right. And it goes back again to that tying your hours into, um, you know, how much money is this making me? I mean, you don't want to run your life by that, obviously, and get bogged down by it. But um, it might be a useful exercise every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What sort of good things happen from making goals for your business? I mean, now, again, like you said, musicians might not want the huge mogul empire like that Jay-Z has. Maybe they just want to make a good living or maybe they want to earn enough money from the streaming or from sales or something so that they don't have to go on tour quite so often. So um, how far out do you tell your startup businesses that they should plan ahead? What do you suggest that they do? I like the five year and then the one year. I think those are good, good starting places, especially for the one year. I like to say, you know, how, how much money do you want to bring in? But not only how much money do you want to bring, how much money do you want to take home? Yeah. And how much do you need for operating expenses? You know, plan out all of that kind of stuff and then kind of reverse engineer it into how many gigs does that equal? What do I need to charge or how many students do I need to teach? 
And then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can take those KPIs (laughs) for your gig pitching success rate. There's probably a much better term for that. (laughs) And think of how many um, do I need to approach and, you know, sell myself to. Okay, so we're using all of this and we're growing our business and we've been using these KPIs and we're getting our voice out there and we're getting more followers and we're getting more clients and we're actually making money. Now, when tax purposes wise, when does the amount of money we bring in, like when does the government say, okay, now you've got to pay taxes on that? Is it on the very first dollar or is there you know, some sort of threshold? So to file a return at all, if you're single, the threshold is if once you make $12,400 of income, you have to file a return. But if if all of this music business is like your side business and you have a full-time job, you know, most people can't live off of $12,400. So you're probably right. filing a return anyway. And in that case, uh, the what, whoever's paying you is required to send you a 1099 if you earn more than $600, but you're required to report it no matter how much you earn. So even, you know, technically the first dollar you earn. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why bookkeeping is so important. <laughs> That really answers the question of why musicians should even think about taxes from the very first gig, really. Absolutely. And I think a lot of not only musicians, but all small business owners or many small business owners, I should say, um, you know, they they get so excited when that first bit of revenue comes in and then, you know, they might pour it straight back into the business and not hold anything back for taxes. And then um, when you are self-employed, you have to pay the self-employment taxes and that can hit a lot of people by surprise. Right. And those are pretty high. They are, yeah. Yeah. About 15%. But that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why musicians need to plan it from the very, very beginning. Right. Now, can you explain a little bit? Um, I think this might be a little bit more applicable to teachers rather than like freelance gig performer types. But for teachers, we often have to plan to pay quarterly taxes more so than just once a year taxes. Yes. Can you explain a little bit about the difference between those? Absolutely. So when you're um, salaried employee and you get your W-2, it has, um, you know, taxes withheld and in each paycheck they're sending, they're withholding taxes. So when you're self-employed, it's your job to do that now because you don't have an employer taking care of it. (laughs) And so the IRS, um, wants you to pay that in four times a year. So there's four quarterly payments, April, June, September, and, uh, January. So really, if you are self-employed, you really should be withholding a certain percentage and kind of saving it away, which is why it's really helpful to have that separate Mm -hmm. bank account. So so going along with that, as you are working with these small businesses and these sole proprietors, what are some of the common mistakes that a lot of them make in their taxes that they should probably be watching out for? Um, I think a lot of them may be missing out on deductions they can take because um, they might not know about them or they're not using a CPA who would know about them. Mm-hmm. For example, teachers can take uh, $250 if they're single on qualified um, education expenses. And also um, one that would be applicable would be like the home office deduction, whether it's used for rehearsal space or recording space, um, teaching space, or even if you use it for administrative tax tasks on your business, like accounting or meetings or anything like that. Um, the rules are just, they have to be regular and exclusive use. So you're not allowed to use that portion of your home for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to be the principal place for your business where you do that activity. Right. 
And then um, the meals deduction, you know, usually that's limited to 50%, but it's 100% deductible for 2021 and 2022, which is nice. Okay. What is this meals deduction? What is this that we're talking about? (laughs) Yes. So business meals are 50% deductible or nearly, Uh um, but for a couple of years, they're 100% deductible. Gotcha. To stimulate the restaurant business and everything in the pandemic. Oh, okay. And so a business meal is where you're talking about business. Right. Over a meal. Yeah. And I think there are requirements. I think either like you or your employee has to be present. And of course it has to be business purposes and all that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, contractors versus employees because they pay taxes differently. So Mm -hmm. what's the difference between those? Yeah, so employees, you will get a W-2 reporting wages, federal tax withheld, payroll taxes withheld, all of that. And it's much simpler Mm -hmm. Um, for self-employed, for contractors. Basically, you need to be keeping track of your own books and your own income and expenses because it'll be usually... Most often it'll be on your Schedule C of your personal return if you're the only one in business Uh and you'll report your revenue, you'll report your expenses, and then um, you'll also need to report on Schedule SE for self-employment taxes. Mm Hmm. Gotcha. And that's what contractors and freelancers do a lot, except they work for a lot of different places. And each of those places that they work for should be giving them a form. Yes, they should be giving, giving them a 1099 at the end of the year. Right. Now, what happens if they don't get a 1099? You're still required to report the revenue. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to self-report, huh? Yeah, that's why bookkeeping is so important. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So another thing about contractors, a lot of time with contractors, we work with people in different states, especially with this pandemic. Everyone's been working remotely. So... How does that work into taxes? Is there something more complicated or is it just they give you that 1099 and you just file it normally? It definitely complicates things um, because you're required to pay income taxes to any state where you earn the income. And every single state has their own threshold for who must file a return. Like some states might say, oh, if it's under $1,000, don't worry about reporting it, you know. Uh So if any of your listeners are in this situation, I highly recommend hiring a tax professional to prepare (laughs) the return because with all the different state tax laws, it can be very tedious. And some of them are not easy to do, like uh, making sure that you're only, you know, being taxed on the income you need to be taxed on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially when they're touring and, you know, when they're performing in different states, working in different states is, you know, a very common thing for musicians. So that's really important thing to do. All right, so we've established that a musician really needs an accountant and needs a specialist to help them with all the ins and outs of of taxes and and getting everything filed. But we still have to have bookkeeping and we still have to keep track of everything and we need to have all of those things to give to our CPA. And there are so many different accounting softwares. Like, do we really need one or can we just make a little Excel spreadsheet and keep our receipts in a shoebox? Like, what's the best way to go about that? So if you're just starting out, Excel is great. And also, if you're just starting out and you don't have a lot of activity, your CPA, will it won't take them very much time to construct some books for you. But if you do have a lot of activity and you're getting to that point... Um, uh-huh. And you're just looking into accounting software. Wave is a free one, and um, it also includes receipt capturing and invoicing, so that can come in handy. Um, QuickBooks and Zero, Zero spelled X E R O, are also great options. Zero is actually one of my favorite. Do those have a steep learning curve, or is it just more like a 
click and plug in the numbers. It's hard for me to say because I do have an accounting background. So That's I almost true. have That's to like true. unlearn and figure out like the methodology and the wording that they're using. But Wave has um, promoted to be very small business user friendly and, you know, words, everything and word terms that a small business owner would understand. So what are some important things that musicians have to keep track of for tax purposes? Great question. Um, obviously, all the money you're bringing in. Uh-huh. And expenses. Um, so, and you want to keep copies of all the receipts, unfortunately. So what I do personally is, um, you know, since a lot of my business is online, I have like a little folder in my Gmail and I just file everything over there. If you are out and about and getting paper receipts, um, Dropbox is a good option. They have an app where you can just uh, take a picture of your receipt and it'll be filed away for you there. Yep. So keep track of your mileage. There are apps to help with that. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so like when you drive, you just put it into the app. Like this is what my odometer says. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then for musicians, um, instruments themselves can be a deduction. Yes. And there are two different ways of deducting that, right? There's the one where you can just deduct the entire amount or you could do decreasing. Um, mm-hmm. why, why don't you explain that? Because yes, I can't remember absolutely. the terminology. <laughs> so, and it also depends on how expensive it is and how, how long it's going to last. Um, and there's a, it's the de minimis safe Harbor rule where if it's under $2,500, it can be expensed in that year. If it's over $2,500, it would need to be capitalized and depreciated. So depending on what the asset is, there's certain, um, lives that the IRS have said, if you know, a 10 year life or seven year life, and that's how long you would depreciate it or take the expense over. And just so I, so I say this, that is an election that you would need to make on your tax return. It's not automatic. (laughs) (laughs) Get an accountant. accountant. (laughs) Do you have any other pieces of advice for our newly (laughs) business-minded musician listeners? Kind of along the same lines of what you were talking about of, you know, take yourself seriously. Um, What you do is important and uh, hire a CPA. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. So if you can take one thing away from this whole conversation, it's hire a CPA. (laughs) Awesome. Wonderful. Is there anything that you're working on that you'd like everyone to know about? Yeah. Um, I offer bookkeeping services. You can follow me on Instagram at Marish Books. It's M-A-R-E-I-S-H books. Um, you can keep up with me there. And I put out a lot of tips and stuff for small business owners. So I'd love to see you guys around. Well, I appreciate you coming and sharing your expertise with us and giving us all of this valuable information and You gave me a lot to think about, so I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and produced by Russ Wilkes. A very special thanks to Sarah Verheyen for her time and her expertise today. If you want to learn more business or tax tips from Sarah, you can follow her on Instagram at Marish Books. You can find links to Marish Books as well as the other resources mentioned today at our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. You can also find all of our older episodes there and sign up for our mailing list. Also, please be sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss out on any future conversations. We can be heard wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us also on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can write us an email at info at Thanks so much.